0: Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 20, and I, I, it's an unfortunate title for the message today, uh, but the title of it is Fraud, and I, I, I almost want to apologize, but we are in a series from the Sermon on the Mount, and you know... Um, a a man of God is to preach the whole counsel of God and that means that you don't uh, just leave out stuff because it's unpleasant to uh, to say but you try to speak the truth in love and so the title of the message today is is fraud let me ask a question start out like this are you somebody I don't want you to raise your hand but are you one of these people that it bothers you to put uh, put on your seatbelt? of course it's the law in the state of Florida in most states I guess maybe every state The law tells you to buckle up, but sometimes people fake it. There was a New Zealander who took that to an extreme. The the police had ticketed him 32 times over five years for failing to use his seatbelt. And this was costing him big money, but he just refused to buckle up. Finally, instead of obeying the law, the man decided that he was going to deceive uh, the police and so he made a fake seat belt that would hang over his shoulder and make it appear that he was wearing a seatbelt when he actually wasn't wearing a seat belt and that trick worked for a while until he had a head-on collision. When he had the head-on collision he was thrown forward into the steering wheel and this New Zealander was killed. Discussing the accident here's what the coroner said about the fake seat belt. Though his car was fitted with seatbelts, an extra belt with a long strap had been knotted above the seatbelt on the driver's side, providing a belt to simply sit over the driver's shoulder and look like he was doing the right thing. The lesson is this, that oftentimes that which is fake is fatal, that which is not real, is a real problem. And in today's segment from the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been in this series for some time now, and we'll be finishing very soon, Jesus warns about the fake, the fraud, and the false prophets. In verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits The first thing that we want to share with you is the importance of being alert. All of us should be alert at all times, especially in the spiritual aspect of lives. As we grow older, most of us see the world getting worse, and we wonder uh, what the world is going to be for our children, for our grandchildren, and so on. I have a a five-year-old grandson and a grandson who's a year and a half And I wonder what life is going to be for those grandsons when they are, say, my age or even in in their 20s and 30s. And that concern is warranted because the world is getting meaner. This is a a much meaner world today than, than when most of us grew up, most of us who are a little older grew up. That being said, it's not a recent phenomenon. It goes all the way back to the beginning of time when Adam and Eve were placed in the absolute best place and best setting imaginable, but they wanted more than was rightfully theirs. <clears throat> that being, that began a deterioration process that has continued through Jesus' day and is still evident in our world today. This is why Jesus offered this warning. Beware of false prophets who come into you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, there are two things that I want you to see about this uh, one verse of Scripture. First of all, I want you to see an unfortunate reality, and I really do mean that, a very unfortunate reality. One thing that no one wants to hear from a pastor, and and as a pastor, I don't want to say it, and you don't want to hear it you don't want to hear that other leaders may be false prophets or that other leaders may be spiritual leaders, may be fakes or, or frauds. However, Jesus himself said, we've got to be warned about that. We've got to be careful about this very thing because they are out there. There are those who advocate something that simply isn't true. It's a hard reality to face. And it's the kind of reality, this is one of those you really have to speak the truth in love or you come off as an unloving, mean, biting uh, uh, deliverer of the the message. And that's not what what any preacher should want to be. Notice when Jesus offered this warning after defining the difference between the the broad and, and narrow path. Notice what he said. He gave the warning in verse 15, but in verses 13 and 14, he said this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, here's what Jesus is doing. He, is, he says those verses, then in verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets. Now, what he's causing us to be aware of are those people who preach something that is other than the truth regarding how to get to heaven. How to get come into the presence of God? He's warning against those who who uh, advocate what what sometimes we refer to as an easy believism. and by that I mean that it's the idea that God just takes everybody into heaven, or this good work or that good work uh, you get will get you there. Uh, I my wife and I DVR a program called the First Forty Eight. And uh, some of you have seen that, I think it's a history or a discovery or something, and it's these these homicide officers, and they've got their best chance to be able to solve a murder is within the first 48 hours, and so it's kind of a a following of them, And, and, you know, most of the murders that they're dealing with there have something to do with drugs. Most of them have something to do with drug dealers or people who are buying drugs or people who uh, cheat on a deal or, or something like that. And uh, we were watching one the other night and at the close of the uh, program, and, and again, I'm not trying to be, be cynical here, but at the close of the program, the they showed a service uh, at the graveside a year after this person had died and they were celebrating or, a, or they were celebrating at least on his birthday and they had the family there and you see this sometimes it's, it's on a regular basis and and they were talking about how this this uh, young man was now in heaven looking on them and how this young man was uh, was looking down on them and and uh, and they were telling him in heaven now I don't know whether he went to heaven or hell but, but I, I will say this, that we have a tendency to think that everybody that we know and love, when they die, they go to heaven. And I think sometimes we have that tendency to believe that because we want to believe that everybody that we know and love, when they die, they go to heaven. But Jesus said, look, these people that preach this broad thing... This, these people that say, you know what, just anybody and everybody is going to go to heaven when they die. He, he goes on, he says, you should beware of, fa- of these false prophets. It's, it, it's a very sad thing. You don't have to be the leader of a cult to be a false prophet. You just offer a road that is not through the narrow path, not through the door, not through the truth or the life. If you offer any path that is other than Jesus Christ, that is a false path. Here's what Jesus said. This isn't Randy doctrine. This is Jesus' doctrine in John chapter 10 and verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, what does that say? Jesus said, I am the door. But haven't we always heard that many roads lead to heaven? I mean, we're all working toward the same thing. Jesus was very specific. He said, I am am the door. Here's what that tells me. If you want to get through the door that goes to heaven, you go through Jesus Christ. It's a very simple, plain, and powerful truth. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is an unfortunate reality that we have a lot today, a lot of, of pulpits where it's being said, you know you just you need to live this good life you need to do this you need to do that and and I can go on with things and and I don't need to do anything other than say, there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to get to heaven from Tallahassee. There's only one way to get to heaven from Timbuktu. There's only one way to get to heaven from Florida. There's only one way to get to heaven from Frankfurt, Germany. There's only one way to get to heaven from the United States of America. There's only one way to get to heaven from the United Emirates. And that one way to get to heaven is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, Jesus is the only way. You say, no, 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 no. That's, that's way, way too narrow. Well, you know what, it is narrow, but here's the beautiful thing about that narrow way. Jesus said, whosoever will may come. That's why it becomes our responsibility to tell others about Jesus the way, Jesus the door, Jesus the truth, Jesus the life. He is the way. There's an unfortunate reality that there would be those who would stand and say that there are many ways, and as long as we're trying to make an effort, God will understand, etc., etc. That is an unfortunate reality, and Jesus himself said, You ought to be warned about that. And, and secondly, uh, in, in pursuing that unfortunate reality, the, the truth is that those who might be false prophets often have an undetectable identity. Jesus described them as wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, we use this metaphor to describe anyone who disguises a ruthless nature or, or evil intent by an outward show of innocence. And, and we have to be very careful about that. A, a true false prophet is the ultimate hypocrite. The ultimate hypocrite is one that you cannot tell as a hypocrite it's one that you do not know is a hypocrite. Recently, I had someone contact me about a concern asking for my support and prayer, and this, this is not an unusual event, it happens a lot. And one thing I shared with this person was the importance of being in a good church relationship. And the person that I was, uh, was talking to agreed, but went on to add that one of the reasons that, that this person had not gone to church so very much was because of hypocrites. I just I don't go because of hypocrites. Now I'm, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to poll the audience, but I dare say that there's somebody here today. You're not really all that hot on church because that there's the presence of, of hypocrites. And and could I say that there's no question that there are hypocrites here today. There is, there's no question. You say, now, Pastor Ray, what a terrible thing to say to us. On a Sunday when we showed up, it's, it's blustery outside. We're going to have a storm. And you just said we were a bunch of hypocrites. I didn't say that. I said there's some here. And you said, well, who are they? Well, I don't know. That's the beauty of hypocrisy. You're, you can be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Everybody, nobody really knows. But there are, there are hypocrites. They're hypocrites in the church. But, I, and, and I guess people, I guess people, many people stay away because of hypocrites in the church. But here's the amazing thing. They don't stay away from uh, their job because of hypocrites. I mean, there's, I will tell you right now, there are hypocrites on your job. And, and you say, you, you really believe that? The, yes, and, and you don't give it a thought. Tomorrow morning, you're going to get up. You're going to take a shower, you're going to brush your teeth, you're going to comb your hair, you're going to put on your clothes, and you are going to go to work and encounter hypocrites, and you wouldn't dare stay away because of hypocrites. I'll I'll tell you this, yesterday was the Garnet and Gold game. I don't know how many thousands of people went to the Garnet and Gold game, but I'm sure it was a few thousand people went to the Garnet and Gold game. Could I tell you that at the Garnet and Gold game, there were several hundred, at least, hypocrites? But you didn't stay away from the Garnet and Gold game. People don't stay away from the Garnet and Gold game. I just can't go to the Garnet and Gold game. There's just too many hypocrites there. We, we don't do that. That's not, that's not how we roll. That's, that's not what we do. And you can go on and on. You can see it in politics. You can see it in family. Everywhere is true. The same is true for wolves in sheep's clothing. They are everywhere. They are everywhere and they're not always detectable. Um, Recently, Hugo Chavez died. Uh, the, the ruler, dictator, whatever, of Venezuela. Here's the thing that I liked about Hugo Chavez. He was not a hypocrite. Now, that's the only thing that I liked about Hugo Chavez. <clears throat> but he was not a hypocrite. You knew who Hugo Chavez was. You, you knew that Hugo Chavez... He was not a false prophet. He was just a bad person. He was openly evil. And while he was a problem, there are other predators not so easy to identify. And those are the ones that we should really look out for. Pastor Ray, are you saying that we ought to go around and be suspicious of everybody? I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm saying to you what the the sheriff's uh, department or the sheriff's office bumper sticker said several years ago. Uh, Don't be afraid, be alert. And and you should be alert to the fact that, and, and I'm very sorry to say it, but it's the truth. There are false prophets. The ones that Jesus warned about were in the religious world. And to most, they were Undetectable. So not only must we be alert, we must be aware. Uh, I've already referenced what uh, what the sheriff's uh, sticker said: "Be aware, not afraid." And that's not a bad admonition for our everyday lives. We simply just must be aware. We must be observant, not too head over heels about anything. Just be uh, uh, observant and just really really be careful here's what jesus said he said you'll recognize them by their fruits Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles this is so obvious it is so obvious but it is overlooked there is a fruit born of our lives and when we make the claims of jesus christ that fruit should look like a fruit that would be born in a christian's life it ought to sound like fruit that would come from a Christian you ever get in a conversation and you say man this is taking a turn that I don't like this is making me uncomfortable and maybe you're talking to another believer and and you think to yourself this is not fruit being born out of a Christian's mouth this is not fruit and I'm not saying that you should say you're lost and going to hell but I I'm just trying really for us to examine ourselves and make sure that we're bearing the kind of fruit that should come from us And spiritual leaders are no different, including yours truly, including me. While we're not perfect, there is a reasonable expectation that the fruit of our lives will be consistent with the Christian walk. There is a reasonable expectation of that. We assume it to be true, but it isn't always so. You should have a reasonable expectation. Yesterday, I was playing golf with Ronnie Williams. And uh, we, uh, they had a tournament where we play golf, so we had to play, uh, and there's three nines where we play, so we had to play, we played at Kalarn, so we had to play the East twice, which is okay, I'm, I, I didn't mind that, it's, it's good practice and so on, so we, we were playing the East twice, and there were, there was a foursome in front of us, and, and it was uh, two husbands and wives, and they were a little older, they were all playing from the forward tees, and that's, that's a good thing, and, and <clears throat> no, no issue with that, Whatsoever, and uh, we reached a point where that they said, "Hey, we're going to uh, hit and then let you play through." Now, I want to say this to you: If you, how many of you play or have played golf? Would you raise your hand? You play or have played golf? Playing through is a curse. <clears throat> it is a curse. Here is what that means: They're all going to watch you hit. They're going to stand there like this, and they're going to watch you hit, and and so. It was a long par three, and actually, it was about 200 yards to the hole. I mean, it was a, it was a long par three, and it was uphill. And, oh, man. And, I'm, and, I, and I, Ronnie will tell you, I always mess that up. I always do. And so I got up to hit, and I thought, I might as well get this over with. If they're going to laugh, they laugh. <clears throat> so I hit it. And I'm telling you, that thing went up. And it landed on the deck. I was dancing, baby. I was on the putting green. I couldn't believe it. And I said, wow. And <clears throat> I, uh, the guy sitting in the cart, old guy sitting in the cart, he said, obviously y'all are playing for money. <clears throat> and I said, oh no, I'm the preacher. I'm not playing for money. And the lady said, we know who you are. I'm just glad that I didn't shank it. And then have her say, we heard that and we know who you are. (laughs) There's just an expectation. We're not perfect. Preachers aren't perfect. Christians aren't perfect. We're forgiven. But there's an expectation that we should be about some kind of an effort to try and be what we should be. We assume that that people are living out the life that they should live, but we should be aware and understand that the fruit of the tree reveals the tree. Take this message, this Sermon on the Mount as as a whole, and you realize that we're to be careful about judging others, but on occasion we are called on to judge, And so what this passage is telling us today is that we should be alert, we should be aware, and the third thing is we should be advised. And so how do we navigate our lives to be aware of of the fraud and even more importantly, not becoming one ourselves? I don't want to be a fraud, do you? I don't want to be a fraud. I, I want to be the real thing. Well, here's what we have to see. First of all, we have to see that we have some choices. We have some choices about the way, uh, the kind of fruit that we're going to bear. We have some choices about the kind of tree uh, that we're going to be. Wasn't it Barbara Walters that asked somebody one time, if you were a tree, what kind of a tree would you be? I think it was Barbara Walters that asked somebody. But we have a choice as to the kind of tree that we would be. And here's what it says in verse 17. Jesus said, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Now, you've heard me speak of the importance of having the right DNA in a church. Every church has a DNA, it's, it has a makeup. Of who that church is and what that church is about. And, and could I just tell you this? The style of the church is not the DNA of the church. Churches have different styles. There are churches that, that will have, uh, you, you go in and, and the style of that church feels a certain way. The music of that church feels a certain way. That's not the DNA necessarily of the church. The, the DNA of the church is, is deeper than that. The DNA of the church reflects the church membership. And while this passage is not speaking specifically of the gospel, uh, uh, while this passage is speaking specifically of the gospel truth, there's more to be concerned. For for the choices, uh, from the choices we make, we become who we are. We become healthy and and fruitful or we become diseased and corrupted. We we become, the, the DNA of who we are comes out through the choices that we make. And I can tell you there are some really healthy churches, and there are some churches that aren't all that healthy, and it almost almost never is a direct reflection on the size, or size is almost never a direct reflection on the church. It has some reflection, but not all reflection. When I was a a young preacher, my wife and I traveled out west representing the, the college and seminary where I attended. And we were in five or six churches every week for three months or maybe 10 weeks. And we found out that churches have a, a core. And it is from that core that the church is, is formed to, to be what it is. And the core of churches, very, very different. Some churches that we attended were very healthy. And some churches that we attended were diseased. And you could tell it, even as a young preacher, it was so very obvious. And I remember one of the healthiest churches that we attended or that we participated in had 50 people in it, about 50. Maybe that was, it was around 50 people. And they were meeting in a double car garage, a relatively new church. And they were meeting in a double car garage at the pastor's home. Now, there were other churches that had beautiful, beautiful buildings, but the spirit of the church was completely different. They they showed signs of disease based on the the fruit of the church. So it didn't really matter the building of the church. It was the fruit of the church. You can have a double car garage and have a great church. You can have a, a great building and have a disease church. Here's something that I, I think that I, I, is important for you to hear. I believe that this church should be guided by three principles, three choices of leadership, if you will, and you've heard me talk about them before, and probably you're going to hear me talk about them again and again. Here's what I believe to be the DNA of North Florida Baptist Church. It ought to be the DNA of North Florida Baptist Church. And in order for it to be the DNA of North Florida Baptist Church, it ought to be in all of our DNA. There's three words, truth, love, and worship. Now, different people are, uh, are drawn to different aspects of that, but we all ought to have every aspect of that in our lives. For instance, there are some who are really drawn to the truth. And, and they love the preaching of the truth. And I, I think that everybody should love the preaching of the truth. I believe that, that we should see that Jesus is the truth and that his book is the truth. And that the Bible ought to be preached. And what I'm preaching today is, is what's often referred to as an expository uh, message. It's a revealing of God's truth from his word to you. I believe that we all should embrace the truth. But some of you love the truth a lot. And you are really, you're really drawn to it. Others, others are really drawn to the loving aspect of the church. You have a heart of mercy and love. It <clears throat> doesn't mean that you don't love the truth, but it, it does mean that, that the love that's associated in a fellowship is far easier <clears throat> for you than anything else. And you love the love. You say, Pastor Ray, is it wrong to love the love? Oh, absolutely not. It's no more than it's wrong to love the truth. But sometimes being loving is more work for say a member that's just really drawn to the truth. Not that members who are drawn to the truth aren't loving, but you understand what I'm saying. We are all given in certain areas, just like worship. There, there, are, some, uh, uh, there are some of you, and, and this isn't the sum total of praise and worship. This is just an evidence of, of praise and worship. But there's some of you that, that when, uh, when we sing, you want to lift your hands. I, I saw uh, Paulette Davis back there uh, during, uh, I think, the choir song. She stood up in the back corner and she raised her hands. And, and she is given to that. And that's, that is perfectly fine. And we ought to be about worship. Everything that we do should be about worship. In in a few minutes at the end of the service, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. This is, is the tithe that, that uh, I will be placing in today. This is an act of worship from, from me to the Lord. This, this isn't a hard obligation. This is an act of worship. This is a way that, that we worship. That should be in the DNA of this church. And some people really have a heart of worship. Your worship may manifest itself slightly different from somebody else, but, but you have a heart of worship. Now, staying with truth, love, and worship helps us be true to the Spirit and the message of Jesus Christ. It is the matter of truth that Jesus is addressing in this warning against fraudulent prophets. Now we want to say it with love and we want to worship the Lord, but it is the truth that he's speaking. The most basic and solid truth is that there is a God who loves us and sent his son Jesus Christ to be the reconciliation for our sins. And any message that doesn't start there cannot get to the right place at the end. If we don't start with the understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you can't get to the right place. In our spiritual lives, we attend church, we have fellowship with other believers, we read books, and we attend Bible studies, all for the intended purpose of building us up in the body and instilling in us the truth. And then we take that truth and we live out the love of God and we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, the Bible says. If the fruit is not consistent with the truth, then we must move from the fellowship or the Bible study and (coughs) put the book down and seek sound doctrine. If you read, if you're reading something, and I, I really believe this, if you're reading something to try and... Uh, devotionalize your soul to try and build you up in, in your faith. And this something is not the truth and you know that it doesn't ring the truth. Don't read that or read it with a different light because we are about the truth. Jesus says, this is the truth. I'm telling you the truth. You've got to beware of false prophets. So this corrupt doctrine and bitter fruit leads to bad consequences sometimes we make choices that lead us to bad consequences verse 19 every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire it is really really important that we understand and, and have an appreciation for the consequences of listening to or even propagating false doctrine. It's not a light thing. If you get anything out of this message today, get this, it is not true that we're all working for the same place or that all roads lead to heaven. This is what Jesus is specifically addressing. There is such a thing as a diseased tree that puts forth diseased fruit. And the only thing you can do with the diseased tree is cut it out. At the side of my house, hiding the electric meter, was a a holly that's 20 years old. And I noticed that it was looking bare around the bottom. And... And that bareness was getting progressively worse, and it was coming up from the bottom. It used to be full all the way to the bottom, and it was getting, getting bare at the, at the bottom. Heinz Nurseries, and, and uh, Tom and Mary are, are here today, Heinz Nurseries have, have always uh, done uh, our, our work for our landscaping and, and all of that for as long as we've lived there and maybe prior to that, the other house, I don't know. But, but Heinz Nurseries has always done that. So I emailed Tom and, uh, about it. And com, Tom came out and took a look at it. And he sent me an email, and, and he said, uh, the holly is suffering from scale, a parasite that is extremely hard to eradicate. The chemicals are very strong, and it must be treated uh, systema- uh, systemically drawn in through the root system. The scale eventually uh, sucks the chemical through the leaves and die. The problem with scale is it's just about impossible to get a 100% kill. And your shrub is so infested that it's best to remove it and burn the whole thing before the scale spreads. I looked at that thing, Tom, and I said, wow he's going to pull this thing out and he's going to burn it all because otherwise I'm going to get scale all down the side of my house. I started checking myself for scale. I was, I, you know, I mean, I don't want to go to the doctor and say, only thing we can do is burn you, buddy. I I didn't want that. So Heinz nurseries came out and they they took it out of the ground and they planted and, and, and completely out of the ground and they took it off and I assume they burned it or it's in the pile to be burned and, and they, they put a completely different kind of, of shrub in there. The, the only thing that, that could be done with that is to remove because leaving it there was going to continue to destroy the rest of my landscape. This is exactly what Jesus is saying should be done with false prophets. In particular, he was targeting the Pharisees who were teaching work, salvation, and legalism. And his remedy for them was to get rid of them. In fact, that's a lot of the strategy of the New Testament when it comes to those who would deceive or disrupt or corrupt the fellowship. A lot of times the, the New Testament says the best thing to do is to get away from that influence. <clears throat> Romans 16:17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, and avoid them. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5: having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Titus 3:10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. When it comes to to many important matters of life, especially the spiritual life, there has to be clarity. You have to understand who's talking to you. Verse 20 is the last verse of our text. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Look, here's what happens. False prophets who teach false doctrine produce a false righteousness. Their fruit, that is the result of their ministry, is fault and false and does not last. You say, when I passed Ray, are you saying that if, if I got saved uh, in, in a place and we found out later this guy was a, a false prophet that I'm not really saved? Let me, let me say something to you. You are saved by grace through faith. And, and the truth is... You can, get, you can look at a, a billboard on the side of the road and the Holy Spirit of God can convict you and you can go to Jesus Christ and get saved. I'm just saying you have to be aware of those that are putting out the wrong fruit. They magnify themselves, not Jesus, and their purpose is to exploit people, not to edify people. The person who believes false doctrine or who follows a false prophet will never experience a changed life. And unfortunately, some people do not realize this until it's too late. Someone said, man will believe any ism so long as it promises him that there is no hell and that he doesn't have to confront the resurrected Christ. I want to close this message with a call to clarity. I would like to ask you to look inside your soul and see what you're believing in for eternal life. If you're believing that because you're a good person, the good will be weighed against the bad and you will go to heaven at the end of this life, I plead with you to look inside of your soul and to hear these words from Jesus, you must be born again. If you're looking at a church membership, whether it's here or somewhere else, and you say, well, I've been a member of the church for this length of time. I've always been a member of the church. You've got to look inside yourself and say, there is nothing about church membership that guarantees heaven. The only way to know for sure that anyone is going to heaven is to know that you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ alone that he is the satisfaction for all of your sin. Now, there may be someone here today who is struggling with that very thing. And you're saying to yourself, you know, every time I hear this, it bothers me. Every time I hear this, it gets inside of me. I'm concerned about it. I know that I've got Christian friends and I know that I go to church and so forth, but I don't really know that my sins have been forgiven. I don't know that I've been born again. And I guess my question is this, why would anyone for the sake of anything, pride or fear or embarrassment or whatever, fail to come to Jesus Christ? I'm asking you today in hopes that if you are not truly certain that you've been born again, the genuine article, that you will come to Jesus Christ today. And you may do so by a simple step and act of faith. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.